Are you ready to take control of your wealth and design the life you envision for yourself and your family? Welcome to Wealth of Insight with Austin Wittenberg from Wittenberg Wealth Partners. Austin guides you through the entire planning process to help you build a plan that seeks to protect your financial future. He empowers you with creative investment opportunities and planning ideas to help you understand and achieve your long-term goals. It's time to gain confidence in your financial future. Now, onto the show. A trusted advisor will admit they don't know everything. So when expertise is needed in a specialty, they reach out to an expert. At Wittenberg Wealth Partners, they do just that. And Austin Wittenberg is here with Darren Fulmer, a CPA with, wow, some credentials that could really make you jealous. So Austin, tell us more about Darren and this show's focus. Thanks, Patrice. Yeah, today we wanted to spend some time talking about a few tax ideas for 2022. And as I'm not a specialist in taxes, I thought I'd bring on Darren Fulner from Haney and Company, who's a CPA that I do a lot of work with. And I wanted to spend some time talking with him. You know, at Wittenberg Wealth Partners, we feel very strongly that your CPA, your attorney, and your financial advisor should all work together. And so we want to build these strong relationships and make sure that our clients are working with someone who um, is up to speed and you know is current with their knowledge of tax law. And that's why I wanted to have have Darren on today. So Darren, why don't you take a second and just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. You bet. Thanks, Austin. Uh, my name is Darren Fulmer. I am a CPA with Haney and Company. So I am uh, I'm licensed in two states. So I'm licensed in Idaho and I'm licensed in Utah. The concentration of most of my clients are between those two states, but I've got clients as far east as New York and Florida and as far west as California, Washington. So Haney and Company, we are what I would call a mid-tier firm. So we're not one of your, your big four, which was formerly known as the big eight firms, uh, but we're also not necessarily a small local firm. So we're kind of somewhere in the middle, which I think is, is a really nice sweet spot. We work primarily with uh, business owners, high net worth individuals, and Beyond just tax planning and tax preparation, we view ourselves as sort of strategic business advisors. So, you know, our clients come to us with a lot of, of questions. Maybe it's a you know business sale, or maybe they've got questions about their estate planning. Maybe they're uh, you know looking to buy a new piece of commercial real estate, and they want to know what what the best way to do these things are. So, that's kind of where our focus is. And that's, yeah, a little bit about me. Awesome. And, you know, and that's really why I think we like working with a firm like yours is that advisor role similar to us. You know, it, there's any number of online free softwares that you can punch your tax, your W-2 in or whatever, and it can calculate the taxes. But those softwares aren't going to give you advice on some of the strategies we're going to talk about today, right? And so now with that, let's just hop right into it and start with retirement plans. For most people, you know, their 401k at work or IRAs, those types of retirement accounts is their main way of saving money on taxes while saving for the future. And I know that the 401k contribution limits went up. And I know that you do a lot of work in the TPA, third-party administrator space. And so I wanted to, you know, just have you quickly update everybody on 
what the new 401k limits are and how business owners can use that to their advantage. You bet. So to provide a little bit of context and, you know, most people are not extremely well-versed in 401k plans. So I like to, to boil it down to kind of basic, basic terms to give people a basic understanding. So with a 401k, you really have two types of contributions at a very basic level. You have employee contributions that employees can make from their own paychecks. And then you have employer contributions. So contributions that the employer is making on behalf of an employee. So think of matching contributions, profit sharing contributions, things of that nature. So there, there's a few limits uh, that govern how much an employee can contribute and how much an employer can contribute to a 401k plan. So the employee limit, if you are under age 50 for 2022, you can contribute up to 20500 to your 401k plan. And that's $1,000 more than last year. Is that right? $1,000 more, which kind of came as a surprise. Usually the IRS indexes those amounts by about $500 every year. Um, I think with increases in inflation that we've seen over the past 12 months, they felt like a, a larger adjustment was necessary. Yeah. And I found it interesting there that they raised that 401k limit, but the IRA limit stayed low. It's almost like they're trying to discourage the IRA and get people into their 401ks or other types of retirement plans like that. Exactly. The, uh, the IRA limits stayed at 6,000 if you're under age 50 or 7,000 if you're 50 plus. So going back to the 401k, if you're over age 50, you can actually contribute up to 27,000 a year. There's a, a $6,500 catch up on 401k contributions. So there's the potential that if you're you know, 50 plus, maybe you're close to retirement and you want to accelerate those contributions a bit more, you've got the flexibility to do that. So the, the second limit that I want to refer to is uh, kind of the overall contribution limit for a 401k plan. So in aggregate for a 401k plan, employer contributions and employee contributions cannot exceed 61,000 if you're under age 50 or 67,500 if you're 50 plus. That's a pretty big number. I think most people don't realize that you can get up to that point. Now there's, you know, you got to have a business who wants to do profit sharing contributions and some of those other types of things to really get there. But I think most people just think I can get that 20,000 or the 195 to 25 in there. But there's, you know, if you really look at it and structure it the right way, you can, you know, that's a pretty significant amount that you can get into those plans. Exactly. So, you, you know, if you're just working as maybe a W-2 employee, it might be uh, a pipe dream to think that you're going to get that 61,000 in your, into the plan each year because there are limitations on what your employer is, is willing to contribute. So you can always most likely maximize your salary deferral contributions, uh, but there may be limits of what your employer is, is going to contribute on your behalf. But if you're you know, a business owner, especially if you don't have employees, you have a lot of flexibility to contribute uh, up to that maximum. Again, if you, if you are a business owner and you have employees, there may be limitations on, on how much you can get into the plan, but it is a lot more robust than what people think on the surface level. So 
let's talk real quick. You know, I think for a, maybe an underutilized plan from a business owner perspective, you know, is that simple IRA sort of fits the, in, right in between that IRA and 401k limit where you can't, if, if you think you can do more than your 6,000 or 7,000 into your IRA, but you're not really going to be able to do the 20,000 or North, you know, in a plan like that, you know, what's the, what's the best option there? Yeah. So with a simple IRA, if you're under age 50, you can contribute 14,000 in salary deferrals. And if you're 50 plus, you can do 17,000. So with a simple IRA, there's a $3,000 catch up. Similar to a 401k, the simple IRA does allow for employer contributions. Again, they're not, you know, maybe as, as robust as the 401k, but it's a good middle ground between the IRA and the 401k if you want to kind of find that sweet spot. So yeah, a simple IRA makes makes a lot of sense for a lot of business owners. One of the other really underutilized tax strategies or savings uh, vehicles here is the HSA. You know, I, I have an HSA personally, we have that in our company plan here. And it's a really great way to be able, if, if you're bumping up against those limits to get additional tax deductible contributions going into a plan, but can be really powerful down the road as you invest those funds and allow them to grow, you know, and ultimately end up using those for, for health insurance, health costs, I guess I should say. Yeah. Yeah. The, the health savings account is, I think it's really underutilized probably the most underutilized tax planning uh, strategy out there. So with, with a health savings account, the contribution limits vary depending on whether uh, you're single or whether you have a family. So, but what most people run into Austin is the inability to deduct their medical expenses. So let's back up and, give a little bit of context on what I mean there. So for your average taxpayer, uh, let's say you have uh, adjusted gross income of $100,000. Your average taxpayer can only deduct medical expenses that are in excess of 7.5% of their adjusted gross income. So let's back up and do the math there. So you've got adjusted gross income of 100000 times seven and a half percent, that's $7,500. Yeah. That's a really, you know, for your average family, that's going to have to be a really bad medical year, right? Yeah. To get up and above that number. Exactly. So it's, and then just to reemphasize, it's only expenses above and beyond that seven and a half percent that are tax deductible. So most people, you're going to have medical expenses from year to year. It may not be that drastic, but you're not getting any tax benefit out of those medical expenses that you're paying out of pocket. With a health savings account, you can contribute up to $3,650 a year if you're single or $7,300 a year if you are on a, a family plan. So that's, that's pretty significant. And if the plan is sponsored through your employer and you make those contributions through payroll deduction, not only are those contributions not subject to federal income tax withholding, but they're not subject to social security withholding or Medicare withholding. So oh, can, I actually didn't know that. So that's a slightly different than on the 401k side, right? Yep. Yep. So it's even so better. You're saving on federal income taxes. 
you're saving on social security, which is 6.2%. And you're saving on Medicare, which is another uh, 1.45%. So so that's a really, really powerful strategy then. Exactly. And it's really the only account out there that you can put dollars in tax-free. And if you use it for qualified purposes, those dollars come out tax-free as well. True. That's a really important point. We didn't actually mention when we're talking about retirement plans, the Roth options, right? Where you can pay the taxes today, put the money in, grow tax-free, take it out tax-free, but there's no way to get a deduction and take it out tax-free in the, in a Roth plan or something like that. But in the HSA, you really, that's like triple duty dollars there, bang, 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 all these different really good tax benefits. Yeah. So if you're like me, you know, we have five kids we're going to hit our deductible almost every year. So our health savings account is a huge tax saver for us. And it's a way for us to turn those medical expenses that we know we're going to have into tax deductions. So some of the requirements to contribute to a health savings account. And again, talk to your health insurance professional. If you're wondering about you know, which policy you should be getting on if you're looking at you know maybe the the healthcare exchange or maybe have a plan through your employer talk to your hr or benefits person to make sure that the plan is hsa eligible but usually if you have a high deductible health plan which for a single person is going to be $1400 a year uh, your deductible and if you're you're on a family plan it's $2800 a year so it's gone are the days when my parents had, you know, a, a $500 deductible <laughs> on their health insurance. Yeah. Most plans days. today are, you know, going to be in that high deductible health plan range. So if you meet that, the definition of a high deductible health plan, it might be, you might be eligible to contribute to an HSA. Uh, there are certain stipulations on, you know, the maximum out-of-pocket expenses, under the policy. So you want to look at that, but I want to go back really quick to the contribution limits there. So 3,650, if you're single, 7,300, if you're on a family plan, and if you're 55 plus, there's a thousand dollar catch up. So unlike our IRAs and our 401ks that have the, the catch up provision at age 50, the HSA is actually age 55. So I think they're just an amazing tool. So just turning health expenses into tax deductions. But the other thing I want to mention, Austin, is that HSAs, that balance can accrue and grow from year to year. It's not a use it or lose it proposition like it is with a flexible spending account. So with an HSA, if you contribute $7,300, and you don't have any medical expenses that year, that balance carries over to the next year. And in that next year, you can contribute another 7,300. And the reason that that's important is a lot of retirees, you know, medical expenses are their number one expense in retirement. So instead of pulling money out of an IRA or a 401k and incurring the tax liability to cover medical expenses, you know, a lot of retirees, it makes sense for them to, you know, contribute to an HSA over time to help cover those medical expenses in retirement. Yeah. And as as far as I know, most HSA providers have investment options that you can use inside of there. So if there's money left over, 
you know, throw it in some of the investment options to have there and try to get that to grow over time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. If they've got an option, you know, something other than money market and you want to uh, try to grow that money even more, those options are usually available with most HSA providers. All right. So that I think put a little bow on the qualified plans, you know, and retirement plans there. And let's move on to a few other areas. And I think probably one of the most common sentences I hear from a lot of our clients, especially those that are business owners, is, hey, I'm trying to save on taxes. I'm going to go buy an $80,000 truck so I can get it, so I don't have to pay taxes, right? And I always you know, jokingly say, well, if you need a truck, you do that. But just so you know, an $80,000 truck doesn't save you $80,000 in taxes. So you know, th- these, I think people have a hard time equating in their brains what can I deduct as a business owner or, you know, even for non-business owners, like charitable expenses and some of those other things, how do these actually impact somebody's tax situation? So, you know, how, how do you have those conversations with your clients? It's, I, I run into the same questions probably even more often than you do. So, but with, with, let's break it up. Let's, let's talk about kind of our business owners first, and then let's back up and talk about you know, non-business owners, what things can they deduct on their personal tax returns? So for business owners that, you know, file a business return, really the standard is that you can deduct any ordinary and necessary business expenses. That is straight, straight from the tax code. So it's a little bit of uh, open to interpretation, I would say, but when you kind of dial in on the tax code and, and what's deductible under certain circumstances. We've got a you know a fair amount of direction in the code. So ordinary and necessary. So that's going to vary from business to business. It's going to vary from industry to industry. Uh, but the important thing to understand, and you alluded to this, Austin, is that a, an $80,000 tax deduction is not saving you $80,000 in taxes. So that $80,000 deduction is only saving you taxes based on your marginal tax rate. So on on the federal tax side, we're in a progressive tax system, right? So we have tax rates ranging from 10% all the way up to 37%. So So can you do 80,000 times 37% on the top of your head? I'm trying to make you to do hard math here. Oh, let's see. Maybe we should say hundred thousand just to make the math easy, right? Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, hundred thousand dollars deduction, thirty-seven grand. So, yeah, if you've got a hundred hundred thousand dollar deduction and you're in that top tax bracket on the federal side of thirty-seven percent, you know it's going to save you thirty-seven percent in taxes. You also have to factor in state income taxes. Uh, the state of Utah you know, has a, a flat rate, roughly 5%. So you have to figure in your, your state income taxes as well. But there's a, it's not a tax credit. A tax credit is a dollar for dollar reduction to your tax liability. A tax deduction is kind of a marginal de- uh, reduction to your tax liability. Yeah. I think that I really do think that is something that people just misunderstand you know, poor elementary and high school education around the concept of taxes. All right, what about for non-business owners, just regular W-2 employees of a business? What sort of things can they deduct? Great question. So I'll, I'll dial in on 
you know, we've already touched on IRA. Taxpayers can can deduct IRA contributions or, you know, 401k contributions through their employer. If they're participating in an HSA, they can deduct those as well. I really want to touch on what we call itemized deductions. And this is another very confusing topic for taxpayers. So itemized deductions are things like property taxes, state income taxes, mortgage interest, charitable contributions. So if those deductions in aggregate exceed the the standard deduction, which is kind of a free deduction the government gives you, then you can opt to itemize your deductions. So one thing it's important to note that there is still a cap on property taxes and state income taxes that you can deduct as capped at 10,000. We are looking at taking that away. Wasn't that in some of the, you know, I know we don't want to spend too much time on what the proposals are because who knows by the time this comes out or people, you know, who knows what they may be, but that is one of the things they looked at removing, right? Was that cap? Correct. Yep. So we'll see what happens in Congress and what they get done there. That cap may go away. It may not. It's just yet to be determined. So We'll see where that goes. But there is a cap on, you know, property taxes, state income taxes. Most people hit that that limit pretty quick. You can deduct your mortgage interest. So, but there is a, a qualifier on that. So if your mortgage originated before December 16th, 2017, you can deduct mortgage interest on that debt up to a million dollars in debt. So if you have a mortgage for 1.5 million, you're not going to get that full mortgage interest deduction. If the mortgage originated after December 16, 2017, that debt ceiling comes down to 750,000 for a married filer. So again, there, there could be a potential limitation on your mortgage interest deduction. You know, a couple of years ago, it used to seem like, oh, those must be, you know, luxury homes, but in the real estate market that yeah. we're in, you can hit that $750,000 cap pretty easy. Pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. One thing to keep in mind there, that, that mortgage interest deduction may get limited. And then, yeah, just touching on charitable contributions. So for the 2021 tax year, you can actually deduct cash donations that you make up to hundred percent of your adjusted gross income. That was not the case prior to 2020 and 2021. So that limitation is going to go away in 2022. That's something that taxpayers need to be aware of. They won't be able to make that election to deduct 100% of their charitable contributions. Let's back up. So going into 2022, any cash donations you make are tax deductible up to 60% of your AGI. So if you've got, again, 100000 in AGI, you can deduct charitable contributions up to 60000 If you're donating, you know, some sort of appreciating asset other than cash, you know, like a, a stock or something like that, the deduction limit goes to 30% of your AGI. So there are limitations on, on uh assets that you're donating to charity that are not cash. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up too. Cause that's another really, I know the deduction limits, but the reality of it is most people don't, I don't think get too close to that 60 nope. or 30, you know, 30,000 
if they're just you know giving some money to the local food bank or whatever the charity of their choice may be. But gifting those appreciated shares, that's another sort of two birds with one stone type of gift, right? Where you can get the tax deduction, but you also avoid the capital gain on selling that stock. And so that can be a really powerful strategy for people. Now you want to, and you know, given where the standard deduction is, what we try to help people is, you know, I, I want people to, to give to charity. We have in our sort of pyramid of client services that we talk about, we always bring up charity and making sure you're, you're giving back, but we don't want your charitable contributions to go to waste from a tax perspective. And so we may look at strategies. One of the strategies that's come up is bunching, where if you consistently make charitable contributions every year, but you're not getting over your standard deductions, you're not really getting the tax benefit from those gifts. We may look at having you do two years in one year, right? So you get up and above that number. Is that, am I, is that the right idea? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So let's say, you know, let's say you don't just for simplicity, you don't own a home. So you're not paying property taxes. You're not paying mortgage interest and you're only itemized deduction is your charitable contributions. And again, for simplicity, let's say you're doing 20,000 a year. So if we look at 2022 and 2023, you're going to donate 20,000 to charity in each year. For 2022, the standard deduction for a married filer is 25,900. So if uh, you take 20,000 in 2022 and contribute that to uh, a qualified charity, you can deduct that under taxes, but it's less than the standard deduction. So you're not really getting a whole lot of benefit out of that. So you get between those two years, you've got essentially 40,000 in deductions, but let's maybe opt for, Hey, let's, let's bunch those charitable contributions. Let's pay all 40,000 in 2022. And then in 2023, we can take the standard deduction of 25,900. So between two years, we've actually kind of leveraged the, the charitable giving to where we now have what 65,000, 66,000 in itemized deductions between those two years. Whereas before we were either limited, we were pretty much limited to just the standard deduction of 25.9. So bunching your charitable deductions, doing multiple years in one year is still a good strategy. Yeah. And obviously you've got to have the cash or other things to do it. So there's a lot of planning that goes into this, but that's, I think, one of the reasons why you want to be working with the, with the CPA, working with the financial advisor, so we can help you plan for some of these things to really make sure you're taking advantage of, of any strategy that, that may be out there. So real quick here, as we, as we wrap things up, I wanted to just touch on you know, ways to potentially defer some income you know, for high net worth and high, high income earners. Oftentimes, maybe their company offers a deferred compensation plan that allows them to defer some of their income into the future. You know, what other strategies do you see for helping people defer income? You know, one thing that we run into a lot is a business owner that is selling a business. And do we recommend that they take the, all the proceeds in the year of the sale 
or do they structure the sale on more of like an installment basis where they get, you know, one fifth of the proceeds every year for five years. So we do that analysis and sometimes an installment sale makes a lot of sense. There is, you know, you want to make sure that you're protected, that you, that you're going to get paid, but that installment sale is good for, for the following reason. So if Austin, if you sell a, a business for half a million dollars, if you take that half a million now, uh, depending on how the business sale is structured. Yeah. It does get a little complicated. We don't need to get into too much. We of won't the details. Too far into <laughs> weed, but let's say, you know, you're in that 37% tax bracket. You're going to pay 37% on that business sale on the fed on federal taxes. If we do an installment sale where you're only taking a hundred thousand a year, that will hopefully keep you down in those lower tax brackets. Maybe it's 35%, maybe it's, you know, 24%, whatever it might be. But instead of paying, you know, 37% on that lump sum, we can kind of smooth the, the income stream over time and take advantage of those lower tax brackets. You still get the same money at the end of the day. It's just, you're paying less tax. There's some factors that you want to balance there, but it, it does make sense for a lot of clients to do that. Yeah. And, and maybe most importantly, and this is, I think where we can wrap things up for the day, but most importantly, it's a lot of these things have to be decided beforehand, right? A business owner can't sell a business, come to you and say, Hey, I sold my business. How do I structure it as a structured sale now to save on taxes or whatever it may, whatever the planning may be, right? It's, it's getting involved with your advisors early and making sure these things get put in place. Because after the sale is done or you know, the year is over, there's really not a, not a whole lot we can do to help at that point. It's, it really just... And that's, again, as I mentioned to begin, that's why we value relationships with our clients, other advisors like their CPAs and attorneys, so that we're getting these, these, these things done beforehand, as opposed to scrambling on the back end. Yeah, 100%. So something that I tell virtually every client is that as much, you know, as, as invested as I am in, in my clients, I can't care about their own situations more than they do. So there has to be a level of kind of proactivity where they come to us for solutions at the right times, right? So that's critical to what, what I do. It's critical to what you do and providing the most value for clients. And, you know, we don't have a crystal ball either. As, you know, we try to keep good tabs on our clients and have a good pulse on what's going on. But sometimes things come up and circumstances change and we need the clients to be proactive and inform us of those changes so that we can, again, get ahead of the curve of planning um, and trying to mitigate, you know, whether it's taxes or mitigate the risk or, whatever it might be. So 100% agree with that. Yeah. yeah. If you can have high levels of communication and collaboration with clients, then they really are best served. So Darren, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Uh, listeners, you can always find us at wittenbergwealth.com or you can call or text me at 801-839-7056. Thanks again, Darren. Thanks, Austin. And remember to follow Wealth of Insight to know when the latest show is ready for you and make sure you share with friends and family. 
Thank you for listening to the Wealth of Insight podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Stratos Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor. Stratos Wealth Partners and Wittenberg Wealth Partners are separate entities from LPL Financial. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wittenberg Wealth Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.